Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. All right, after drenching wanes over the weekend again, we finally dried out and we're going to see some sunshine today. Is it time for plan? Well, let's find out. Bob Olin joins us now. It's the Bob Olin Show. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave. When are we going to get out in those gardens? <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, this morning <laughs> feels like the first day of spring. Here we are, the first week in May. We've waited a long, long time. And, you know, I'll use just a little analogy for you. You know, plant material stores a lot of sugars down in its roots, and then it just releases them with a fury when temperatures warm up and we get more daylight. I think gardeners may be the same way. (laughs) Dave, I think that we've all been waiting a long, long time. And, you know, there's some things that uh, you definitely can get doing right now. Now we've got some places where they've still got a blanket of snow, so they're still letting things dry down. So if, in fact, uh, that's your situation... Uh, let's let the, the snow melt. Let's give it a couple of days before you do a whole lot of trooping around on the uh, on the landscape. But then, you know, there are a number of things I tell people this time of year. Don't focus so much on your vegetable gardens, on your annual gardens, your flower gardens. Focus instead on your landscape. And, uh, you know, you can start there with a good thorough cleanup. And uh, there's a lot of debris from after a long, long winter like this. Uh, be a little careful. You're out on the lawn. If it's real wet, once again, if it's wet, stay off it. Even on the grass, it's compaction. We've got a lot of heavier soils, clay soils, and uh, we want to open those up anyway, and we certainly don't want to uh, compact anything there. So if it's wet, and certainly this is what applies to your vegetable gardens in any place you're going to put some annual seed in the ground, stay off all these areas because compaction is kind of your enemy. We really want soils that are open, loose, friable, and with heavier soils, just walking on it can can deal a great, a great deal of uh, injury to those, uh, particularly uh, those areas where we want them to be open. So if it's wet, to stay off, give it some time, let it dry out. But other areas, uh, use just a, what we call a fan rake or a leaf rake, not a garden rake. Uh, in other words, you want to use that analogy of a fan rake. Let's just clean up all of those uh, leaves that didn't get picked up last fall. Let's clean off. Uh, certainly there can be some uh, debris of all types. There can be uh, twigs and uh, pine cones and pine needles if you've got some pines in your landscape. Uh, light raking, these can all be picked up. This is, Dave, this is largely woody material. So mm-hmm. this is material that uh, you could use uh, certainly as a mulch. We make this distinction between a mulch and an amendment. A mulch stays up in the upper surface of the soil. It It's there to retain water, which Believe it or not, they're still predicting warm, hot, dry summers. So the fact we got all this rain now, we may be appreciative of, at least short term here. But uh, you want to retain some water. So nice big pile of that leafy material. Uh, if you've got large uh, branches and pine cones, you might want to check that certainly first. But uh, these materials can be used as a mulch. We probably don't want to incorporate too much of that down in the soil. Just put it in a big pile on the, on the side of the landscape and then when the time comes to get your annuals in the ground, uh, we can use this as a mulch to control weeds as well as to uh, retain some moisture. So focusing on the landscape, uh, letting some of those other uh, annual gardens, whether they be annual vegetables or annual uh, flowers, leave those alone for a while and stay off everything that's wet. That would be my advice for some early, early season uh, lawn and landscape. 
care there, Dave. All right. Well, we certainly had a wetter and colder than normal April, and uh, May is starting out pretty cold, too. But as you mentioned, uh, they're still calling for a hot and dry summer, so all this moisture would be uh, welcomed, I guess, when it gets later on. You know, I used the term that someone wanted me to clarify a little bit. I used mm-hmm. it on, you know, we do this uh, PBS gardening show, and I said, well, we get this reversion to the mean, which means we come back to the averages. <laughs> And that may be true this year. We get all this moisture early, and then we have a hot, dry summer, and it turns out to be just a quote-unquote average year. You'd like it spread out a little bit throughout the season right. if you could, but uh, obviously that's a little bit beyond my control. Maybe not yours, Dave. Yeah. Well, now I, I hear the Farmer's Almanac is predicting the same thing. So apparently a uh, hot, dry summer is on tap for both uh, Noah and uh, the Farmer's Almanac. No kidding. They all got to the yeah. reading off the same page for one. Apparently so. I guess they were yeah. uh, also predicting a, a rather cold April. Yes, so they were. They're nailing it, I guess. Well, we'll see. Now we hope they're both wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see what and happens. That can be the case with the weather, but we're looking at longer-term uh, you know, uh, weather patterns based on the La Nina that's occurring in the South Pacific, and I think those patterns tend to go uh, three to years, three to five years. So I think that's why we're looking at uh, the possibility of, again, of a warmer summer. So we're just going to be a little bit prepared for that. Uh, look at the water source. And uh, if you've got to, we may go back to the old rain barrels. They were very fashionable for a while when we had early spring rain. And uh, we may go back to that, retaining as much moisture. Uh, water uh, irrigation, whether you're pumping or whether you have a municipal system, is not free, of course, and anyone with a water bill in town knows what that's all about. But uh, certainly uh, we want to be conscious of that and, and conserve and, and not overwater. We'll talk more about that if we get into a hot, dry situation. But in the meantime, there's plenty of moisture in the landscape, Dave, and uh, we want to be a little conscious of just not uh, compacting things where there is right now just a little bit too much moisture. But a good, the good thing is not a lot of frost. Everything went in the ground, even these late snows. Uh, so right. this is all... Very good, uh, very limited uh, flooding, uh, a little bit in the valley, but even down the Mississippi uh, River area, very little flooding. So we normally this time of year, there'd be a lot of discussion about that, but we managed to avoid that, which is all very good. So we can hopefully get off to a a good planting season uh, this year, Dave. Well, this week, it looks like we're going to be on the way to normal temperatures by the end of the week anyway. Uh, Cooler temps by the lake as usual, though, all week long, we'll have a predominantly northeast wind throughout the week and no rain in the forecast until maybe later on Saturday and then some more early next week. Yeah, it's going to be a good weekend. I just know people are going to be out, Dave, because yeah. uh, there's all this pent-up energy, all this stored energy, and I know uh, that's in my plan. But again, being a little conscious, being a little careful of what we're going to do, it is still very, very early. Now we do got to get out there and do something, no doubt about it. If nothing else, just clean up the yard a little bit. Well, cleanup is a big deal. The other thing I, I will mention is, uh, and I've noticed this, uh, I've got a walkway with some pavers on it. They're mm-hmm. kind of all kittywampus. I ah. think the frost has pushed those out of the ground. So, again, in your landscape, folks have what we call the hardscapes. In other words, if you've got a deer fence that went down and, and you push a lot of those poles and stakes around, uh, they're certainly uh, retaining walls that may need some attention. I mentioned the walkways, so anything... Uh, the hardscape material, I think you can do that. The other thing, and maybe we'll touch on that in the next segment, uh, buds are still very tight, so you can get out there and uh, you can still prune your apple trees uh, probably only uh, for another day or two till the warm weather hits, and then those buds will break very quickly. But as long as the buds haven't broken, uh, you can still do some uh, 
very early season pruning, and we would still consider this a dormant prune. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'd have a little more time, but you certainly can uh, can get out there and still do some pruning, Dave. All right. Well, we'll take our first break of the morning. We're at 924. It's the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And we're back. The Bob Olin Show here on KDAL at 926. Bob, those uh, days are getting longer and longer. 550 for sunup. It doesn't set until 822. So lots of opportunities, I guess, to get those plants in the window to uh, get all that sunshine. Yeah, you got, and that's another thing. Uh, we talked a little bit about houseplants. Great time, mm-hmm. even at this point, uh, to do some houseplant transplanting. Uh, take a few cuttings. Just have a little fun with some of those. You'd be surprised this time of year how fast they will root. We, we uh, talked about some of the real uh, thick-leaved material, uh, some things like our jade plant and uh, all of the Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter cactus. Uh, so many of these make such great house plants and uh, those materials because they retain moisture uh, very easy to take cuttings just take a few of those uh, leaflets off and uh, stick them in a good potting soil mix and uh, stick them in a mix without the fertility so you're really looking at what we call a seed mix and um, we should perhaps touch on that difference between a seed mix and potting soil mix when you're out there shopping uh, potting soil mixes typically have some fertility in them so they're all peat bait for the most part right now at least in this area, so peat is the foundation of it, and because peat is a real low-nutrient type of substrate, uh, it tends to be acidic, so they might try to balance that off. They may have an amendment like a little bit of lime in there, but more than likely they've got a slow-release fertilizer as well. This is all fine and good for your house plants that are uh, actively growing, but for seeding, uh, it, it really can be very detrimental because all of these fertilizers are technically salts, not a sodium chloride like a table salt, but there are potassium chlorides where we get the potassium from, and there's magnesium sulfates, which is a salt again, where we get uh, some of the sulfur from and some of the magnesium. So they are salts, and this can be damaging on a very tender seedling, something that's just emerging, the seed is germinating, and then it hits that salty environment and it can be uh, very, very damaging, if not uh, destructive, to the emerging seedling. So you've got potting soil mixes and you've got seeding mixes. So mm-hmm. if you're going to be uh, seeding, you're obviously going to be using a seeding mix, no fertility, no lime. And if you're going to be uh, taking some cuttings and you want to get some roots out of those cuttings from the house plants, once again, it can be very simple, but stay away from the potting soil mixes and go to the, uh, the seeding mixes without the fertility. Pretty easy to do. Another mm-hmm. quick thing on... If you are taking cuttings, uh, you know, uh, you've got to, you're replacing all the roots, you want to generate some roots. So it's the roots which are the transport mechanism for the plants, carry all of the water and all the dissolved nutrients to the rest of the plant. You are taking cuttings so you don't have any roots. We want to reestablish roots. And that, uh, that cutting is going to have to survive just on the stored nutrients that are, that are in the cutting till we get some uh, some flow of nutrients from the emerging roots. So you want to find an area you want to get higher humidity so those cuttings don't dry down. One thing you could do is you could put a plastic wrap over the top. Poly, think of a large maybe polyplastic bag. Uh, this is just going to create a mini greenhouse environment, but you never want to put that in the sunlight. In the sunlight, you superheat and you can fry everything. So you want it in a darker portion of your home. Uh, indirect light's going to be okay, but not in the direct sunlight. But that poly over the top will create a greenhouse environment. The critical thing there is very high humidity so that that plant tissue doesn't dry out until we can actually uh, get some of the 
new roots uh, to emerge, and then we get the active transport of moisture. Once that occurs, then we can pull the poly off, and we can move them into just a little bit more sunlight as well. So, Dave, good idea. This time of year with the emerging light, great idea. You'd be surprised how fast things will, will grow and will take off at this time of year. You're not going to suffocate that poor plant in the plastic bag, are you? Well, you got to be a little careful. That's yeah. why you want a big pillow. You want to put saran wrap over oh, the top. Oh, okay. So uh, we're going to leave a little air space Good. there. And, and again, the only reason we're doing that is to increase the relative humidity around that emerging cutting. So we're taking cutting, no roots. We'll stick it in a, again, a seeding mix. And we will, uh, you can do this with any number of your house plants. Yeah. And then we're going to put a, a bag with some air over the top just so we get some more, more humidity. We're going to water everything in, of course, but it will take a couple of weeks till we start getting some uh, root initiation, and then the roots will uh, do their job, and they'll pull all the moisture. At that point, we take the poly off, and we can move it into a little bit more uh, direct sunlight. Okay? Uh, pretty amazing that uh, we used to be able to go to the store just to get some dirt, but now there's so many different varieties of dirt, you you got to be pretty specific as to what you need and what you want. Well, you you really do, and this gardening stuff, and there's a lot of marketing that goes along with that, and uh, lots of fancy name brands, nice packaging, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I've done a little shopping myself for my own purposes, and I'm going to do a little educational spot on water soluble fertilizers and wow. and potting soil mixes. We can pass a little of that information on, but again, I think uh, get as knowledgeable as you can. Uh, listen to Listen to the KDL here and some of the gardening tips we've got for you, but uh, also be aware that there's a lot of stuff. I just had a uh, an inquiry from someone to help me with the plant zones because I'm seeing, and I won't mention the local retailer, Big Box, a lot of materials. I spun the tag around, and this is perennial material, plants that are going to go in the ground, and they were listed as zone, zone 7 through 9. Uh-huh. We are zone 2, 3, and along the lake 4. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, it'll probably go good in the summertime, but look out, yeah. Well, yeah, you might make they might grow, and oftentimes they will guarantee they will grow, but not for mm-hmm. a full year. They won't make it through the winter, <laughs> right. so uh, they will grow and take off. But you got to be a little careful. Uh, a lot of material, most material, should be tagged so that you can uh, you can buy them for certainly for zone three. That's probably the safest, even if you're down along the the lake. I. I tell people when you're buying perennial material, uh, the first thing it has to do, it's perennial. So it has to survive multiple winters, and those winters can be tough, as we found out uh, this year. So start with Zone 3. If you're real comfortable, uh, Zone 4, we've got listers in the Washburn Bayfield area. Uh, that's the area there because of all the protection from Lake Superior. They might be Zone 5, but for most of us, we're still Zone 3 along the lake, Zone 4. Be very conscious of that and uh, spend your money wisely. Yeah, you know, perennials, uh, and I had an inquiry about a peony. I looked it up. This is a Duluth peony, which was, uh, it's got a great name. It's big double white. It's wonderful. It's still in the trade, been around since the 30s. Uh, not inexpensive. I'm saying 40 to $50 for a root. But when you take a look at it, if you handle it right, that's perennial, and that could last Outlast uh, us, maybe not you, Dave, but probably me. <laughs> yeah. uh, who knows, 40, 50, 60 years. So if you put it in that kind of perspective, by good quality plant material, perennial materials, not going to be inexpensive. Mm. Take good care of it, but buy materials that are suited for this area so uh, they do survive multiple winters going into the future. All right. We uh, are happy to answer questions about gardening, too, or Bob is, I should say. we got somebody on the phone now. Hi, who's this? Rod. Go ahead. Hello, Rod. Bob, uh, 
wife reminded me uh, the other day that uh, there's one more spring thing that we got to do if we don't have to be out in the yard and, and work in the yard and so on, and that's washing windows. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, you, you got reminded of that, right? <laughs> that's right. You know, right? That's a good point from a you know from a couple perspectives. First, you know, I think everybody's got this pent up energy. It was a long winter, so there's a way to burn off some of that energy without tromping around and and starting things a little too early on a wet vegetable garden, as an example. But the other nice thing about cleaning up those windows, you get more sunlight in. We talked about house plants, and uh, this will only encourage the development and the regrowth of a lot of your house plants. Makes you feel a little better on the inside because you got bright conditions as well. But, yeah, uh, they're growing. They're growing real well on the windowsill here right now. And then, uh, uh, fan- and salt windows. <laughs> Fantastic. I got, I got a question for you. Sure. I'm, I'm an old timer, and I don't know who else to ask this question of. But do you remember another old timer? <laughs> well, I say I'm older than you. I'm in 80 plus, you know. So. Oh, uh, congratulations. All the guys that I know that would know this uh, answer are are long gone. But anyway, um, you remember was was there was a experimental station just north of Duluth or to the west of Duluth a little bit, and was that called Northeast Experiment Station or whatever? I remember going there in the fifties and uh, judging cattle. And and uh, do you remember that, or do you know about? Oh. I remember it. I, I know it so well. It's out on Gene Duluth Road, Northeast uh, uh, right. Experiment Station. All of the all of the experiment stations were labeled throughout the state of Minnesota uh, based on their geographic location. So in Grand Rapids, we still have an active station there, which is still an active right. research station. They've gone from experiment station to research station, research and outreach. Uh, the facility in Duluth on Gene Duluth Road is now the property and the dominion of the uh, of UMD. So they've still oh. got some activities going on there, but certainly not in the livestock realm and some of the areas that you remember. But there were some yeah. real key, real key and great great folks that were involved there. They grew a lot of potatoes. Uh, you know, for so many years, uh, people really relied on uh, what they produced in their own gardens. And we did some research, and I even go back uh, far enough, so I actually really did some research on that station as well, Rod. So I remember oh. it very well. <laughs> yeah. Not the yeah. cattle. We didn't have their cattle at that time, but we were still doing oh. uh, horde research, and UMD still uh, carrying on some of those activities, but on a more limited, not a, not on the type of uh, research that we were doing at one time. Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly where that was because, you know, you get in the back seat of a car and you're a teenager, you don't pay much attention to where they were taking you. And <laughs> I didn't remember that it was, but now that you mention it, I guess that's where it was up on Dean Duluth Road up there. And uh, yeah, not, too, yeah. not too far out of town. And we, we also had, you mentioned livestock. Livestock was so critical because we had many, many, many small farms and uh, small dairy herds and smaller beef herds and uh, so there was a, a regional livestock show there as well that the kids all participated in, or many of the 4-H kids brought their animals there. And uh, this does go back a little ways, brings back, actually for me, uh, some uh, fond memories, uh, some of the folks I work with uh, out there that are uh, sadly all gone to a better place now. But nonetheless, it was a, uh, it was a great experiment station and, and kind of a throwback to times another time. 
kind of interesting. We're kind of coming back uh, where there's interest in urban farming and other things, but it's all totally different in the livestock realm. Uh, you know, things have consolidated like a lot of things in agriculture, and you know, it's efficiencies that drive everything. Because uh, there's not a lot of money in egg. It's not like you're writing software or, or doing some of those other things. There aren't mar- margins are very tight, so you have to be extremely efficient. So the producers that are still with us, unless they're doing it on a hobby basis, uh, it's extraordinary how much uh, technology they're using uh, just to kind of uh, stay in the game. So the herds are much bigger, and we don't have a lot of those uh, smaller needs for information for smaller farm units. Yeah, that's correct. I remember, I, I don't remember, but I remember being told that when you saw those and, and going back to, now going back, we're, we're going for full circle, going into uh, the organics and so on, and the small farms and your farmer's markets and so on. And, and I remember that I was told that they're in, in the, at the Harney Railroad Depot, just uh, a little bit east of Esco, there was a big potato warehouse there and the small farmers would bring their potatoes there and they would be shipped they'd be shipped by train then to Chicago absolutely we we were uh, we shipped a lot of product to Chicago and at one time uh, rutabaga and cabbage had a great big crops and they went down I think to some of the ethnic groups of Poles and so forth we shipped a lot of raspberries by train at one time but uh, those times have changed, tastes have changed, uh, and at one time, uh, yeah, we had some very viable agricultural operations. Chicago was a was a very significant market, and uh, that's all changed a little bit. Everything's a little bit closer to home now. The, the huge processors, of course, have come in and all the transportation from the Salinas Valley. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, things are changing. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the weather and uh, we've got plenty of moisture, and I had to remind myself of this because it was a damp weekend. Uh, the rest of the world pretty hot right now. We're familiar with the uh, the early wildfires and the projections for the southwest. So much of our agricultural production, a lot of it that gets shipped around the country, does come from those drier areas where there's a lot of irrigation, but they depend upon uh, reservoirs being recharged in the mountains. There wasn't a lot of snow melt, and what concerns me even more is that we're pulling down the... Uh, the irrigation water levels, a lot of glacial water gets used, and I think it, it's kind of uh, got a lot of people to support that are used to very high standard of living, and I just hope the water's there to keep things going into the future. So may not be so bad to be here in the Midwest where we do typically have plenty of moisture and typically got uh, a good natural growing season without a lot of these other inputs. Yeah, fascinating talk about full circle you're right about that in so many ways the circle isn't quite the same but nonetheless uh, a lot of the old ideas are certainly coming back everything was organic back in those days and now we've got other options but we're going back to a lot of the organics again yeah I I, I, I was wondering too that uh, the uh, with the the, uh, drier areas and the hotter areas and with global warming I'm wondering if much of that uh, agriculture is going to move further north, like uh, the vegetables and the farming and, and the potatoes and that kind of thing. You, have you thought about that at all? Oh, yes. There's, there's quite a bit of discussion about that. And, uh, you know, it kind of relates to the uh, what we call the Corn Belt. And in Minnesota, that's Inkley is a line of demarcation where you can grow Corn is corn is key, and it's kind of interesting, key to uh, so much uh, protein production, whether it's uh, chickens, pork, uh, beef, uh, corn is uh, very essential. 
and it's one of the key crops, but it does require a warmer growing season. So there has been a lot of discussion that maybe some of those growing areas are going to shift to the north. But, you know, this is still kind of a gradual. And we've noticed that it's not going to happen in a year or two, but over time. But there is a lot of agricultural land to the north, and uh, that's been wheat and rye and barley and other grain crops that uh, don't need the warmer temperatures. But uh, certainly if this were to happen, if the moisture is there, uh, there's plenty of potential for additional agricultural production. So uh, well, it can certainly change, but my view is that we're, we're still going to have a source of some good uh, agricultural product. And, of course, it's, it starts right within your own backyard where we shouldn't have to worry too much about uh, global change as long as we've got a little bit of uh, water to deal with here. Yeah, well, thank you for your information. Yeah, thank, yeah. thank you. You bring back some fond memories, uh, Dr. Arnold Taylor. I can name some of the many individuals that I worked with that were just stellar. They came off small farms, uh, tremendously capable, bright in- individuals, and uh, they contribute uh, even to this day through those of us that are did some of that research with them and collaborated with them. So you bring back some fond memories. So thank you, Rod. And where is this? Uh, the station was run by who at that time? University of Minnesota. Oh, okay. It was part of the uh, part of the land grant system. You know, uh, for the longest time, we were not able to feed people in this country, and it was about um, even though we had the the agricultural resources, plenty of land, good moisture, mm-hmm. but uh, we were malnourished. Right, actually, right up until the uh, Second World War, we were we didn't have the calories we needed, and a part of that was to get uh, the research out and to get new uh, technology applied. And so we had uh, research stations throughout uh, Minnesota, and there were one in Grand Rapids throughout the West as well, uh, over in Staples, and and many of these are still operating, Wasika. So they were throughout our agricultural regions, and we had a lot of forage production as well, and uh, uh, beef production and and vegetable production in a commercial sense, northeastern Minnesota. So we did have an experiment station just just north of Duluth, uh, but that's no longer operating with that that type of a mandate in in mind. Very good. Hey, we're going to take another break. We'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. We've got another call to 944 now at KDAL. All right, Bob, we are back. 946, another caller on the line. Hi, who's this? Well, I thought they were on the line. Well, we we invite people certainly to call in. Mm -hmm. You can give them that number, and if they have questions, or I'm I'm always interested in in what their plans are for this year. You know, we've had a lot of uh, several gardening educational sessions here big turnouts every right. place and uh i think it's going to be a big gardening year for sure uh, some materials a little short supply again they thought that uh when the pandemic had uh, resolved itself that uh, this gardening activity would go away i think it's going to be bigger and better uh than ever this year you know right. Dave, uh, let's try the phone do? again bob before i get into okay that. let's do that <laughs> who's this hi this is Lori. hi Lori. go ahead I just thought to reminisce a little more. Um, <laughs> if I remember correctly, our little town of Toivola, when we were um, doing plays for 4-H, we yes. went to the environmental station to compete in a contest. And do you know any, do you remember that? Uh, there were other activities you're probably talking about rather than environmental station because we've had environmental learning centers around that have emerged recently, but I think you're referring to the, again, to the experiment station. Uh, and, uh, you know, now that we've urbanized a little bit, uh, 4-H, I have to remind people, was such a big part of the community, such a big part of people's lives. 
I go back to those old values, and we've got to certainly still have the program, but it's changed a little bit, and uh, we've got some great things. Everyone's looking at science, engineering, technology, so there are a lot of modern programs, but you go back to some of those just basic core materials, uh, you know, canning and and gardening, and it's real interesting. Uh, Rod was our previous caller mentioning the fact that we've kind of gone full circle. Now we are doing a lot of these things, handicrafts and so forth, but they're more more in the hobby realm where it was more in the survival realm. And really, 4-H was the youth component, education being the key side of that, as well as character development. I mean, uh, those young people were responsible for uh, a lot of what we call demonstrations where they had to actually uh, have a project and then they had to get up in front of the public and refine their public speaking skills and uh, these demonstrations were done at county fairs and then the best of the best went down to the state fair so yeah. the whole program was about education and educational development and there were these as you mentioned there were local clubs and then community clubs and then they moved on to regional centers where they would actually uh, display some of what they'd learned to the general public so I think they probably came to the experiment station and had uh, had an opportunity to uh, uh, to perform there as well. Yes, it was a competition, and uh, the only thing I when I think about that, and I wasn't sure it was correct, was where did we? There was a stage. I know there were those two homes there that they moved. You know, people bought the homes, which were yes. nice, older homes. But um, where did we perform our play? Was there like a stage or? Well, anyway, it's fun to remember. <laughs> it is fun to remember, and uh, and those are the good old days. And I appreciate the comments because uh, I think we go back, and we still have uh, still have this going back to some of these old skills that people really want now, uh, and more and more. It's going to be interesting this year because uh, you know we 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 had this abundant food supply, so that everything was convenient, available, and and processed and whatnot, and we kind of went back, and we didn't really have the issue with food inflation, the price inflation. We're really seeing that now. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how gardeners respond this year, and I think economics uh, may come back into play again, as it did back in those early days where uh, you really had to, you put potatoes down in that root cellar, you canned all your tomatoes, your beans. That's what the, uh, the family lived on and relied on so it was really a, a local food out of necessity now we're kind of uh, maybe coming back to uh, that point where that's going to help a little bit with the food budget as well you bet. hey thank you very much for the call appreciate it thank you okay, no. thank you yeah that's uh thank goodness there are still some farmers out there we're going to need a lot more though if this uh, keeps going the farmland keeps going away to uh development of one sort or another well, it's real interesting, and of course, everything's global, and people mm-hmm. are aware. Uh, someone fact-checked this for me, but uh, <laughs> the ish- issue in Ukraine, the war there, uh, removed uh, 13% of the world's calories. Wow. And uh, where we talk about quality food, we're, we've got a lot of calories, too many we consume as a, as a nation, and other societies are the same way, but much of the world is still calorie-dependent, and they just want enough uh, calories to survive, so... Uh, that's why we've got to have a good uh, good spring here. We're going to really rely, on, again, on the American farmer getting it in, getting it done, because uh, the whole world uh, needs that, and it's reflected in some of the prices for sure. And back to the phone. Hi, who's this? This is Marilyn from Two Harbors. Hi, Marilyn. Good morning, Hi. Marilyn. 
Good morning. Um, unlike previous years, my the deer in the area have really chewed on two of my plum cherry bushes. Okay. Uh, and two of them are doing fine. They have, weren't attacked, but two of them are just really mauled. Uh, what do I do with these uneven bushes? Do I cut them all the way back, or do I just let uh, let the smaller ones grow up and not do anything to the big big ones? What do I do? Oh boy, that's a good. Uh, and I put together a, a list of the spring gardening chores, and I, I thank you for the call because that reminds me we got to take a little look at the animal damage. And uh, that deer herd uh, is pretty significant in a lot of areas, and they do a lot of damage, particularly when the winter gets long like that. Uh, you're going to have to evaluate each one. Real good question, by the way. And sometimes, um, you know, we're not going to prune at ground level. We're going to inspect each bush and see where the damage is, and then you prune back to, you can tell where the living, uh, what we call viable plant material is. It'll be... It'll be very pliable. It'll be light green right now because I'm assuming buds have not broken yet. Is that correct? True. Yes. Yes. It's very, very late. We'd usually have bud break by this time. So it's a, pruning. This is still what we consider a dormant prune, and that's very good to prune at this particular point because that will stimulate new growth. So you want to take a look and where there's been, you know, a lot of damage, browsing damage. Uh, they're not very sophisticated deer. It's it's too bad we can't uh, get them to attend some of our educational sessions on pruning and get right. them to do it right. <laughs> but they get in there and they just maul everything. Yeah. So you want to take a little look and anything that's uh, partially broken off, you want to prune back to another stem. So you want to clean that plant up. You don't want to leave half stems there because that'll be just damaging and you won't uh, pop any new buds along a partial stem. So mm-hmm. take it back to another junction point and any point where there's a junction of a a limb coming off from another stem uh, we have the potential for a bud to emerge even though you haven't seen it yet you make that pruning cut and it uh, it potentially will emerge so you can get a lot of new growth and stimulation so i wouldn't give up on on any of this uh particularly a shrub like that if we in fact had one one tree with a main stem and we circumscribed the entire 360 degrees around the main stem. There's a lot of damage. I'd say that tree is done for. Let's plant another. But in your case, uh, we can get a lot of new growth. We don't want to prune anything to the ground. Let's give it a chance. Prune it back again to uh, a portion of the shrub where you're sure it's alive and back to a junction. And then uh, let it reemerge. And this pruning will actually stimulate, rearranges the hormones actually in the plant, the plant hormones. And uh, it's kind of nature's way of recovering. So get nice, sharp pruning shears, prune up everything uh, yeah, that's been damaged, and let's give it, uh, within about another four weeks, you're going to have a pretty good idea of exactly uh, how much damage and if we have to replace any of it. But uh, you might be surprised how much new growth uh, comes from that. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm going to give it a try. Good. Thank you give for the try. call. Yeah. If I could comment, uh, the sooner we get at that, the better. So we got some nice weather here. Once we pop the buds, we no longer have a dormant prune. We've got a, a pruning process that actually slows down growth. One of the reasons we like to prune when they're dormant is it stimulates new growth. 
and I'd have to get into the uh, this balance between oxins and cytokines, and there's a lot of these uh, <laughs> major, major hormones that are going to generate this. But let's just say, while it's still dormant and the buds haven't broken, you're going to stimulate new growth. Once the buds are broken, you can still prune, but that actually slows the process down the opposite of what you want. So prune early and this week sometime, okay? Right. Thank you, Bob. Uh, we'll be right back with more of the Bob Olin Show. It's 9.56. What's your favorite color? Green. Healthy, vibrant shades of green. The green you get from strong roots growing in good soil, enriched with garden green compost from WLSSD. Natural premium compost worked into the soil or used as mulch. For healthy gardens, trees, lawns, and shrubs, locally produced garden green. Compost you'll dig. Now available at WLSSD's Yard Waste Compost Site and Materials Recovery Center. Find out more at WLSSD.com. And we're back, final uh, portion of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. Bob, we're into No Mow May. A lot of folks are doing that this year, and uh, the way things are going, I won't have to mow in May anyway. Nothing has grown yeah. at this point. Even my <laughs> dandelions haven't come up yet. Boy, that's pretty disappointing when even dandelions are struggling. <laughs> right. Isn't it? Well, it's going to be kind of interesting. It, it definitely does point to the fact that uh, there is interest out there in, uh, in getting good pollinator plants. One mm-hmm. of the reasons is, uh, you know, we're really looking at not so much the honeybees, we're looking at native bees, and uh, they're going to emerge when it warms up. You know, most of them right. overwinter down in the ground. They overwinter uh, in old woody material. So we kind of, uh, you know, part of this is we're not going to mow in May, and uh, I guess in spirit, no mow May in other towns in, in Wisconsin. We haven't started that quite. As a matter of fact, we've got one of the council members in Duluth <laughs> that wants, wants a little educational piece so people understand yeah. that, you know, what really is involved here. And uh, people will want to maintain landscapes that look attractive and are neatly maintained. So we're looking at uh, some of the bee-friendly lawns. We did a couple sessions on that, and I will just say this. We are, and we had this discussion on zones, we are zone three, zone four. A lot of the bee mixes out there, that which tend to be very expensive, um, the neighborhood of $80, $90, $100 per 1,000 square foot area that you're going to wow. cover, uh, just the seed, plus you got to put it down and got to maintain the seed bed and so forth. Uh, a lot of those materials are solid zone four, not zone three. Most of uh, the listeners in to this broadcast are probably zone three ah. so uh you want to stay away from some of these exotic mixes uh we need to do some research again i would say stick with just a white clover we know that's going to be there and that's going to uh it's something you can get in your lawn you know when we look at flowering materials for a bee lawn mix we have to have and i get this question from people how about just red clover probably the red clover is it, it it will flower out at six eight inches and you don't want your lawn to be you won't have a lawn. You'll have a field there if you let it go there. So we, Bob, we, we got to run, looking. sadly enough. We've run out of time, okay. but we'll cover this again next week. We'll see where we stand uh, next Tuesday. Thanks, Bob. Absolutely, Dave. Take care.